Hey there, friends. Hope you're having a great day, and welcome to Fresh Beans. I'm your host, Jim Sonoka. Pull up a comfortable chair, pour yourself a cup of fresh joe, and let's dive in together. Hey, good morning, friends. This is Pastor Jim Sonoka. Welcome to episode number three of Fresh Beans Podcast. We're here in the office this morning with Marilyn Hinkle, and I am totally stoked to be able to uh, talk with Marilyn and so she can share her life story with you all. Uh, It's going to be a rich time. So, Marilyn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, It's so good to see you this morning, and uh, thank you for agreeing to come in and, and share your life. I'm glad to do it. I don't know that it's been eventful as others, but uh, I feel like I've had a really good life. Uh, excellent, excellent. Your story is going to be a, a, an important witness, I have no doubt about it. So tell us about where you were born, where you grew up. Well, I was born in Nowata, but I lived in Tulalove for the first 20 years in the same house. Uh, I was the oldest of three kids, and my mother and grandmother were both school teachers, so that probably had a whole lot of influence on my life. All right, and uh, school for you, where did you start out at school? Well, first grade was in Tulala Public School. At that time, they still had a high school. Uh, Second grade, I went to Nowata because my mother taught school in Nowata. And so I went to Nowata Public Schools for the second grade. Uh, She had a baby after that year, which was my little brother, and. so at the third grade, I went back to Tulala and finished Tulala through the eighth grade. Uh, the uh, school had by that time become just an elementary school. The high school had already merged with Ulagaw. And so the students from Tulala that were in high school grades went there. So after the eighth grade, I moved to Ulagaw and became part of the Ulagaw Tulala school system. All right. How, now, how large was your graduating class back then? My graduating class from the eighth grade was, I believe we there were six or eight of us in the class. Whoa. But by the time I got to high school, we were all of 42. So we had grown, and we were the largest graduating class that Ulagaw had had at that time. Oh, amazing, amazing. And uh, uh, after high school, did you, did you have some po- post-secondary uh, education there? Yes. Uh, being in Tulala, there was not much for anyone to do other than drive a hay truck or something like that. So I started college uh, two weeks after I graduated from high school and did summer school and my first full year of school at Northeastern uh, in Tahlequah and decided that I really wanted to become kind of a professional home economist, and I would not get that kind of background in Northeastern. So I then transferred to OSU. But needless to say, both of those experiences were a growing experience for me to be in something much larger than I was used to for classes and such. Yeah, absolutely. Then uh, around 1970 or so, give or take, you you met somebody, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And it was a blind date. Uh, I graduated in 69 from OSU and went to work for public service as a home economist. And my um, supervisor at the Electric Living Center was uh, a lady by the name of Hattie Hinkle. Her husband was my husband's now cousin. And she said she had this cousin that she wanted me to meet and I really 
wasn't excited about it. I thought I'd probably had all the blind dates I needed in college and wasn't really interested in that. But how do you tell your boss no? So you said, yeah. So how many blind dates did you have? You want to tell us? In, in college, I had more than one. Let's, <laughs> some of them were, uh, were okay and others, uh, no, we don't even really need to talk about that. <laughs> we'll just leave those out. Yes, yes. But uh, I met Norman on a blind date and we hit it off pretty well. And uh, a few months after we had started dating, Hattie came in and asked me, she said, Marilyn, you need to figure out what it'd be like if we had two Hinkles in the office. And I said, oh, Hattie, don't worry about it. We'll just change his name to Cook. Well, Hattie was a very conservative lady, and she wasn't buying the thing at all that we'd change Norman's name instead of my name. So, <laughs> But I did go by Hinkle once we were married and uh, have uh, enjoyed working very much with her before she retired. Wow, fantastic. So do I have my math right that you all have had a big anniversary? We we have a big anniversary coming up coming in October. Up? Yes, October the 10th. So uh, I think with the pandemic, I think we're probably going to be right here in Owasa celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. So uh, tell me a little bit about your church life and your faith growing up. Well, like I said, Talala was is a real was and still is a really small community. Uh, there were two churches in Talala: the Baptist Church, which my family was affiliated with, but there was also a Christian church in town. And uh, I attended the Baptist Church growing up, and uh, but the Christian Church had a better youth group, so I attended the Baptist Church for Sunday school <laughs> and Sunday service, and then I went to the Christian Church for their youth program. <laughs> Because everybody in town, that, that's what the kids did. That wasn't, of course, anything else to do and until you're old enough to drive or whatever. That's, you're kind of stuck there. So uh, made lots of friends, have lots of friends still from that church that I kind of keep in touch with. Uh, when we go back for graduation parties and that sort of stuff, it's, it's always good to see friends that you've known throughout your life. Well, that makes a lot of sense, too, because uh, when you were growing up, how many people lived in the Talala area? Roughly. Probably. Well, and, and it depends whether you look at town and town was really small. There might have been 75 people that lived in town. Uh, maybe by the time I, because people had started to move out of the city and buy tracts of land more than, more than an acre or whatever to build a house on, maybe to keep a horse. Maybe there was 250 in what was considered the town of Talala. Yeah, so um, it's kind of like rural America at the real time. Rural. It's everybody's a, one big family in the town. Yeah, it was real rural, and everybody uh, you kind of knew everybody. And there's still a lot of names that I recognize, but it has certainly grown since I left. And uh, there's an awful lot of people that tell me they're from Talala, and I wouldn't have any idea who they were. All right, uh, Marilyn, uh, tell me about uh, yours and uh, Norman's uh, faith and church life, because you're, you're all married now in 1970. <laughs> yes. Well, Norman was a member of the First Christian Church in Clamore and had been all of his life. He was born in Clamore and grew up there, and church was a big part of his life growing up. He was an only child, uh, maybe spoiled a little bit, but other than that, yes, he was, <laughs> was an only child. but. Because he was so ingrained in his church at the time, and I had been living in Tulsa, that it was easier for us to go back to church in Clamore and be where his mother was for a while. 
we did that probably for two, three years or so, and then we decided uh, we needed to try to find a church here in town. And uh, surprisingly, uh, the minister from the uh, First Christian Church in Clamore thought that we probably would have a good match with the Methodist Church here, because at that time the Christian Church here was undergoing some disarray, maybe we'll call mm-hmm. it at that mm-hmm. time. And uh, but we did not go to that church. We went to a new church that was formed that was called Disciples Christian Church. It's, I think, still active and very small out on um, 66th Street and 129. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but then after Hunter was born in 1976, uh, I decided that as Hunter got to be a little bit older, it really wasn't good for me to be the Sunday school teacher of he and one other child. And, uh, he needed somebody else to be a teacher for Sunday school. So we started going to the Methodist church at that time. Uh, when Hunter, after Hunter was born, we lived next door to the Methodist parsonage. And uh, we had moved to uh, the house that we live in now when Hunter was a week old. Uh, didn't plan that move very well, obviously, but uh, <laughs> have lived there ever since. So how long have you lived in the current residence that you're in now? <laughs> we moved in in... Uh, May of 1976, and uh, we've lived there. We've remodeled the kitchen, uh, and other than that, it's pretty much the same as it was when we moved in. We did add a carport onto the back because turning into the garage was difficult for me as a driver, (laughs) and so we added the carport, which makes it pretty easy, and that way we have a place to hide things in the garage now. (laughs) Now, I bet uh, you've had some interesting neighbors to the east of you over the years. You want to tell us the story behind that? <laughs> well, uh, it they it has been interesting. Um, I have we've had some that uh, we've thought, man, eh, they're only going to be there for a short period of time, and we've been very sad to see others that have left that we've become very good friends with. Uh, in fact, one of the little side things was one of our foreign exchange students that we had actually dated. Uh, one of the minister's daughters, and I had to tell her that, you know, remember, you will get to say goodbye to him in July when he goes back to his regular country, and uh, was concerned that they might be not necessarily too serious, but I didn't want her heart to break knowing that he would have to go back home. Yeah, and so and so people know what we're talking about. You live next door to the parsonage for our church, yes, uh, which has been the parsonage for a long, long time. And I was trying to do the math in my head the other day. I'm not sure I got it accurate. Do you do you know how many different pastor families uh, have lived next door to you all? Oh, I'll have to think for a minute. Been a lot. Yeah, probably maybe eight. Wow. Some of them were there just for a year or so, and others were there for quite a long time. Ah. Uh. Well, we we won't uh, we won't tell stories about all the observations that you all made over the years of all the pastors and families that live next door to you. But I bet I bet that was kind of a blessing in some ways too to be able to connect. It was, but I when new pastors move in, I always tell them that we do go to their church to their church and are members of it. But that I at this point I also wanted to be their neighbor, so that if there was anything they needed or that sort of stuff to be, feel free to contact us. And so it, it's, it's been a good experience. Yeah. So now let's back up just a little bit. You found the Methodist church roughly when? Um, Posey Gaines was the minister mm, okay. uh, when we moved to, to the Methodist church. 
and uh, in fact uh, became good friends with Posey Eye, taught him how to skin catfish. Uh, <laughs> I bet there's a story there. <laughs> well, he liked to fish, and he could keep catching catfish, but he didn't know how to clean them. And I said, oh, you don't clean them, you skim them. So uh, I uh, went over and got the pliers, and in the garage, we skinned catfish one night. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. So you all found the, the Methodist Church, and uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your 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 life and your faith within the, the Methodist denomination? Well, I tell you, I don't know that I can tell you that it's very different from maybe my life and all from when I went to the Baptist church and when I went to the Christian church. Basically, the beliefs are all the same. I uh, try to be accepting of the other people that don't always agree with me. So I, I do let there be some people say, well, no, this is the way I feel, or I think it's this. Uh, I just have to say, okay, and we can both have our own thoughts. And uh, that's worked pretty well. I um, became chairman of the board one year, uh, and it was, it was a difficult year. We were struggling as a church and trying to figure out how we're going to get the electric bill paid for. But I think that's probably also still true today. Uh, I, uh, I've enjoyed seeing our church grow. Uh, seeing the church move was during part of the time that I was pretty active on the board, and that was a difficult situation in dealing with both church members and uh, district mem- dif- district people and conference people as to what were we going to do with because the location we were in was not going to last, was not going to sustain us. Yeah, change, changes in the life of churches are always difficult. Um... Yeah, people, we, we recreate habits and we get accustomed to things. So I can only imagine uh, how, how it was a struggle to lead during a transition from campuses to go from yeah. old old Main Street uh, over here to 106, which was probably relatively in the middle of nowhere then, right? Yes, yes. There was very little around. And uh, we even went to Oklahoma City to... Uh, do a study on how we should do how we should locate churches and it uh, uh, gave us some guidance and said that churches needed to be located to where people were used to going past them every day whether it be on their way to work or to shop or to to school or whatever that uh, that was one of the important factors in locating a church and having gone to the Little Disciples Church that's kind of out of the way, I could relate that that was probably one of the reasons that that church never really grew to to get much larger than it is today. Well, you all did a fabulous job because we are in a, <laughs> a prime location here right next to 169 on 106th Street North, and uh, things are certainly blowing up around us now. So you've had lots of roles uh, in terms of leading within the church and within the community. And um, do you have any stories about uh, your life here in the Methodist Church that are funny or uh, that you'd like to share with folks? Well, I think we've all we've had lots of fun times. Uh, one of the things that Norman and I laugh a lot about is when we first started the pumpkin patch which was before the church was here. Yeah. Uh, we did it on the corner, and Norman didn't work on Mondays, and so he's always volunteered on Monday nights to be 
the Patch Caretaker on Monday evenings because that was his day off. But uh, as I look back on it now, it was a cardboard manger scene that the church had that we used for nativity set but that manger scene worked out real well to be the covering for us to sell pumpkins from so um i think the pumpkin patch brings a lot of excitement to us we enjoy the pumpkin patch we enjoy seeing the community enjoy the pumpkin patch whether it be our church members or members from the community and from communities around that will come so That's been one of the things that I feel like has been, I'm proud of our church for doing and uh, I'm glad that it's been so successful for us. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, A fundraiser for mission work too. And would you believe me if I told you this year is the 20th anniversary? Well, yeah, because we probably have that many shirts at our house. (laughs) (laughs) A t-shirt every year, right? Right. Well, we've got a couple of sweatshirts even, but yes, it's, uh, it's, uh, been fun and it's really fun to see the kids grow up and bring their kids back to the pumpkin patch. Uh, so that's been a really good thing that I think is good for us as to to support our community as well as our missions that we have. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, 20, 20 years and uh, that's part of the challenge this year with the COVID crisis going on is wow, how are we how are we going to host the patch where we have people out and interacting with each other and it's a real challenge. Yeah, I, I think, we, but we'll find a way maybe, and uh, it may not be the same as we've always done, but we can move on and learn from the experience. So uh, church life is just a piece of what you've been involved <laughs> in. You you sent me a uh, 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 resume and some stories of all things you've done, and I'm just telling you, it's amazing. City Planning Commission, uh, Metro Planning Commission, County Equalization Board, uh, two terms on Owasso School Board. Uh, does I say 10 years? 10 years, yes. Wow. So uh, any of those hold stories or memories for you that <laughs> stand out? Well, some stories that I probably should not share. Then <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing is that uh, each of those experiences were large learning experiences for me. Um, I had to, uh, it's it's difficult sometimes to control your emotions when you see people doing things that uh, you know they shouldn't be doing or that you feel they shouldn't be doing and not just run right into them. I've had people call me ugly names. Uh, mm. A county officer once called me a really bad name and printed it in the had it printed in the newspaper, but the the newspaper guy came down and said, you know, this person has called this, said this about you. What would you like to say? And I said, well, I said, my mother always told me if I couldn't say something nice about somebody, I shouldn't say anything at all. So let's just leave it at that. Wow. What a powerful lesson that is. Well, you know, going up with a teacher as a mother and grandmother, they, she, they do at least teach you some things that they've learned in their life, probably from teaching school or dealing with parents that you, uh, Sometimes just have to sit and listen. Yeah, so uh, a good family upbringing. It sounds like your faith probably got you through a lot of that, too. I, I think my faith came from that, and I brought along a picture that my grandmother had uh, cross-stitched when I was an infant. Uh, and it happens to be the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. And when I moved stuff from my mother's storage building after we sold the place that I grew up on, and found that picture in there still 
kind of put together, I thought, you know, that's a prayer that I still say today is, you know, now I, as I lay me down to sleep, the Lord my soul to keep, you know, and if I should die before I wake, my soul the Lord should take. But if I live days longer, then let him give, give me the guide to make me stronger. So um, that probably came from, from grandparents. Then uh, I, So I brought the prayer today and thought I'd share it and let you look at it. Uh, I'm not sure it's one that was shared in your generation or whoa, since I'm older than that. But my when I pulled it out last night, and Norman said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to take this prayer with me today. <laughs> yeah. And he said, maybe it's only our generation that learned that prayer. And I said, I don't know, but I kind of think it's probably a prayer that's passed down. And I hope it is, because I think that's the way we should raise our children. Yeah, I think it still is. I think yeah. it's still popular within faith circles and families to pray that prayer with kids. So... Yeah, and uh, so that we talked about some of the volunteer organizations and things <laughs> that you served on in the vast experience. But uh, you had a, a interesting occupational and career, too. So uh, tell us a little bit about the, the different positions that you held. Well, right after I graduated from OSU with a degree in home economics, uh, I didn't want to teach. Uh, I'd seen the bad parts of teaching from mothers and grandmothers and whatever, and but I wanted to do something in the home economics field. I was active in 4-H as a youngster and that sort of thing. And so I went to work for the utility company. Uh, I helped, uh, I taught cooking classes for third and fourth grade kids, for high school home economics students, for newly married couples, and people that just bought a new, at that time, microwave ovens were brand new. They were called radar ranges. and <laughs> Ra- uh, Radar ranges? Radar ranges. And Amanda made the first ones. Well, because it was discovered by a, a radar tube is actually what makes the microwaves work. Uh, and so uh, anyway, when people would buy them, we would demonstrate them at the fair, and people would buy them. We'd go into their home and teach them how to make meatloaf and different foods like that for their families in them. So that was my first experience. And after working there, oh, I guess five years, six years, uh, all the utility companies nationwide decided they were no longer going to employ home economists. That wasn't an important part of their business. They were out there to sell electricity. So uh, they, I moved downstairs, uh, downtown to public service, and I worked as a sales consultant uh, to home builders and uh, people that would call in. Uh, summertime, I got to help the meter readers with high bill complaints, and uh, they would send us out to tell a homeowner why their bill was so much more than they thought it would be and whatever. So uh, had to use some skills, negotiating skills with that, to, and to try to keep them calm. I know uh, one night I was given a uh, an account to go to, and he happened to be a news broadcaster. And I know when I left the building, they said, now, Marilyn, whatever you do, don't make him mad <laughs> because he might say something bad about public service on the news. And uh, when I got to his house and could explain to him after looking around that uh, the reason his electric bill had increased was his wife had bought a ceramic kill to fire ceramics in, and she had been using it in the garage quite frequently. And with what the amount of electricity that it required was the reason that his bill had gone up. And he was a happy person, and he didn't, he didn't say anything bad about us on the news. <laughs> so that was always good. What a fascinating story. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, a lot of different jobs you've held over the years. But I got to tell you, one of the most fascinating things uh, that, to me is what you do now. Uh, kind of, uh, what, what, what's your official title at the Owasso Museum over there on Main well, Street? Well, it's called the Director of the Owasso Historical Museum. There is a Owasso Historical Society in town that people belong to and bring things in and want to maintain the history of it. And for a number of years, they bought the old Coma building, which was the grocery, one of the grocery stores in town that was built in 1928. We believe it's the current longest standing building in town from the early day Owasso. And uh, it was used as a grocery store, half of it, and the other half was a uh, restaurant, a cafe. And we try to keep the history of Owasso uh, so that we can pass it on to people as they come to town or that people can share memories of their families and such. Uh, and this is one of those things that's kind of like a volunteer job that I've done, but I actually get paid for this because... The Historical Society could not no longer maintain the museum after they purchased it and remodeled it. Uh, the cost was too much. They didn't have an, a way to get money because we don't charge. And so they merged with the city, and now the city takes care of the expenses of the museum, such as maintenance and the electric and that sort of thing. And they pay me a salary for my part-time work. I work uh, 20 hours a week. And so uh, I like to do groups. Uh, I love for school kids to come in and we kind of talk about how Owasa got started and such. And uh, then I have people that come from foreign countries and whatever to look around. And they, they like the heritage that we have from early day Indians and the settlers that moved here. And I always try to give them a story of how we started, how Owasa became Owasso. And it doesn't mean the end of the Trail of Tears. It meant the end of the railroad. The yeah, railroad stopped yeah. here in town. Well, I've, I've got to tell you, I've, I've been in the museum before to talk to you and watch you present to folks at uh, other functions around the city. And uh, you're an amazing walking encyclopedia of historical information about this place. And I'm... Uh, you may know, but is there anybody else around that has the the depth of historical knowledge that you do? Oh, yeah, there would be other people and people whose families, because I didn't grow up here. I didn't move here till 1970. Yeah. After I moved here, I realized and found out that my great-grandmother, whom I did not know, lived on the corner of 76th Street and Main. Huh. And... Uh, she lived in a house that looked very similar to the one that my great-grandmother in Talala lived in. So I have a feeling it was probably a kit house. But my grandma Cook, which was my maiden name, uh, grew up here and met my grandpa Cook at a box social at Scales School. And I didn't have any idea where Scales School was. So when I first started take, doing this job, I asked one of the gentlemen that had grown up here that was a volunteer, and he was in his mid to late 80s. And the next thing I know, he comes back and he said, Marilyn, Scales School was a little town over by Dawson, or a little community by Dawson that uh, had uh, a uh, mine, a coal mine type thing. And uh, the owner of the mine built some houses and a school building for his workers. And my uh, grandfather, 
worked at the mine and met my grandmother at a box social for the scale school. And after they got married, they uh, she lived here uh, with her parents, and uh, they moved to Tulsa then. And so my dad grew up in the Tulsa area. But uh, it's kind of interesting. It's fun to look and see or try to do research and such. Uh, I do have a lot of school history, and since I was kind of affiliated with the school through the school board, I enjoy looking through annuals and that sort of thing to get information about uh, Owasso and how we changed the difference in the schools, the fact that we had a huge pandemic here in the early days of, and it probably is the way I read back through it is probably with smallpox. Uh, but if you look at our cemetery, uh, we have an area of our cemetery that was uh, kind of a pauper's place that they buried people that we have no idea who, we know there are graves there. We just don't know who it is. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. So um, this is, uh, you you probably have a difficult time coming up with the precise thing. So with all the knowledge that you have working there in the museum, what is the one point of trivia that you could share with folks? What's the least known important historical fact about this community that you could uh, tell us about? Maybe something funny, maybe something shocking, anything like that? Well, let me go back to what I listened to on Jill's story, was the fact that her family moved to Dalton Hill. I think probably a lot of people don't realize we have an area that's called Dalton Hill. Hmm. And it was, Jill's family moved there. Uh, there was an outcropping of rock and a kind of a little cave-like, and the Dalton gang hid out in that cave. Uh, it was up high on a hill. They could watch for people to come and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, so uh, it no longer is available for people to see. Uh, the The family that owns the property now has seen to it that they, people won't, because people were just coming up traipsing around thinking they were going to find gold or or this sort of thing. Uh, and so uh, that's probably one of the most unique things that I certainly didn't know anything about until I moved here and, and have learned a lot more since I started working at the museum. Uh, the other thing that I think people don't realize is that we had a, a Civil War battle was fought near here. Uh, and the Indians fought for both the North and the South. And uh, at that battle, uh, it, it's if you, you there's a marker out on Delaware Avenue or Delaware Street that is uh, just uh, north of 86th Street, about about a half a mile. If you go on, turn on Delaware off of 86, about a half a mile, it will talk about the battle uh, of Caving Banks. And uh, they, if you go to history books to look at, up that part of it. It will tell you about the regular soldiers, but they won't tell you the number or list anything about the Indians that fought. And there were more Indians that fought in that battle than probably regular soldiers would have been. But uh, I think that's one of the things that people don't know about our area. Uh, I do have a little display uh, showing that the people in this area were both Union and and, uh, Confederate soldiers or people in the area. And uh, but I have a lot of uh, Indian history background in the museum as well uh, that tells you uh, all of the allotment areas that were given out through the Indian allotments and 
people can come and look at that, figure out where they live now, and if they haven't read their abstract for their land, can at least get an idea of what Indian owned that land before other people bought it and sold it. Yeah, amazing. So um, give us a quick plug for the museum, the days and hours that that you all are open so that people can come avail themselves of this really amazing history. The museum is open Tuesday through Friday from noon until 4 p.m. We open on Saturday at 10, and we're open until 2. And then other times, if you want to bring a, a scout group in or you want to, uh, you have family coming in on a, for a, an event or whatever, if you'll call and we'll make arrangements to be open whenever it's convenient for you. Amazing, amazing. So let's kind of segue and circle back to faith for a minute. Are there stories in your life uh, about faith, about being a follower of Jesus that you might be willing to share with folks uh, to kind of give them a sense of your witness, your, your testimony to your faith? Well, I think part of my faith was when I decided I was going to go away to college two weeks after graduation. and all of a sudden would not be around family. And uh, I I had to say, okay, Marilyn, can you do this? Uh, I've always had a grandparent that's lived probably within a half a mile of me and a great-grandmother that lived within about a mile of me. And so I had family, and I had to say, okay, somebody, God, you've got to get me through all the changes and the decisions that I have to make for my life. And uh, so I have used faith in that way in many different things. I uh, feel like God has led me to be maybe a a community service to my community, or I'd like to think that. Uh, I feel those are some of the things that uh, I've learned that you have to give back. Uh, You can't be a selfish person that you need to share, share what you've learned, share what you feel might help other people. And uh, so sometimes when I'm not happy with things that people have either said or done or this sort of thing to me, I have to to go back and, and rely and say, okay, get me through this. Make me a person that God would want me to be and not lash out the way I'd like to, to do maybe or what I'd like to say. and. Uh, I have watched people raise their children that I'm thinking, oh, that's certainly not one of those things I do. And then I have to tell myself, wait a minute, you're (laughs) not their parent and you have to let the parent do that sort of thing. So um, I have been one that I try to keep my relationship with God. Uh, We we sometimes have a lot of conversation. Maybe it be in night of a night when I go to bed or Maybe it's when I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and think, okay, I need to go down stairs and sit in my chair, and we'll, we'll, we'll ponder this a little more rather than, than thinking that there's just something I can do, because sometimes there's absolutely nothing I can do. Uh, but when I see things that need to be done, I feel like God's telling me I need to step out and either help that person or... Um, be the person to step up and say, well, have we looked at it this way? Uh, Our experience with our three exchange students 
that we've had uh, during the time has been really good. One of them was a member of the Orthodox Church, and he was from Finland. And then the other two boys were both had been raised Catholic, and uh, we they all went to church with us. Uh, but we also offered to go to their churches uh, for either special seasons or whatever, because we felt like it was important for us to learn in their ways as well. And I think sometimes we as people don't want to look any way other than our little straight way, and we need to take a view of how other people were raised or what other people's thoughts are and be somewhat accepting of that. Yeah, yeah, it's all about the loving the neighbor. Yeah. And the great commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Well, I got to tell you, too, uh, uh, not during the COVID crisis, which has been challenging for all of us, but back when things were semi-normal, <laughs> seeing you and Norman there on the second row every <laughs> Sunday, and uh, uh, it was so special to, to me, and I know to many other pastors over the years, but uh, be sitting there on the first row and Norman and tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, Hey pastor, I got something for you. <laughs> Have you all always sat there in that same spot? Uh, no, not always. We sat on the other side for a while. Um, and then it, we noticed that people are not very apt to go to the front and Norman and I thought, you know, we can, we can take anything that comes from the front. It, we, we may not like it, but we can take it. So uh, that's just uh, in hopes that other people would, would move forward or not feel that the back row had to be their, their place or they weren't comfortable. Well, I got to tell you, you all are the examples that all pastors dream about is how to get people to sit up close to the front of the sanctuary. So that's amazing stuff. Well, Marilyn, we're getting close to the, the end of the interview here. Is there anything else that you might like to share with folks about life, about faith, maybe family, uh, that would help, help people uh, know your story a little bit better? I think that um, right now, particularly in this time we're in, it's so difficult for us to feel like, yay, yay, we're going to be on this side, or we, I think we have to be a searcher to search out our own beliefs. Uh, don't just take what someone tells you is the truth as it being the truth. I think uh, uh, church has given me the opportunity to know that if I sit and think about things and weigh different things, that I may come up with a different answer than, than people feel like, or uh, I wish that uh, I could have helped them by doing such. So uh, I, to me, my faith and church ha has been one of those that I hope is kind of my guiding, guiding light to tell me how to get on, on down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So as a, a way to close our time together, the, the, the embroidered uh, framed, prayer that you brought with you today. And I realize we're on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to be able to show everybody. But would you do us the favor of just uh, reading that prayer for us from that beautiful piece of artwork? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. If I should live, 
for other days. I pray thee, Lord, to guide my ways. Amen. 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 Marilyn, I deeply want to thank you for coming in and sharing just a part of your life story. I know uh, Jill was the same way. There's anxiety about doing this, but I am convinced that your willingness to share your story will touch people. Uh, you will reach people, and uh, just this short time together this morning will actually change lives. So thank you so much for coming in. I was very pleased to do it. I hope I hope everybody in, enjoys it, and come see me at the museum. Absolutely. We will come over there on Main Street during those hours and, and uh, learn a little bit about Owasso history with you. Friends, I want to thank uh, all of you all for joining us for this third episode of uh, Fresh right. Beans podcast. It's been a wonderful uh, story of sharing with Marilyn Hinkle here, who is a member of our church and has such a rich story. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this time together. We'll look forward to being with you again soon. We'll have another interview lined up for you. But until then, know that God is good all the time. Amen. Have a great day. 